HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour here at Slow Food Nations in beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm Hannah Forden, and uh, before we get started with our very special guest, I want to do a quick thank you to our sponsors who have made our coverage out here in Denver possible. Thank you so much to the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts, Big Green Egg, and Hearst Ranch, and of course... Slow Food Nations for having us. Um, We're so grateful. Um, And I'm really, really excited to speak with our guests today. Um, My team had the the pleasure and the privilege of enjoying dinner at his restaurant, Urban Farmer, last night, which was a major highlight of our trip. So (laughs) thank you you so much, Chef Chris Starkis, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad you guys had a good time. So to paint a picture of our dinner last (laughs) night, it was one of the most interactive and... um, captivating dinners I've had in a long time. Awesome. Um, can you talk about the table side service that yeah. you have at Urban Farmer and what sort of led you down the road of wanting to kind of bring the kitchen sure. to your guests? Well, I think that, um, you know, when I was coming up in the culinary school, like the um, open kitchens were the thing when I was like, well, we're working for Wolfgang and whatnot, right? And so we didn't have the ability to have that here. And I think they've kind of maybe gone out of fashion now or not. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But um, but even at that, you don't get that intimate experience of someone cooking right in front of you. So we started off by doing table-side mushrooms. Um, and so we have mushrooms growing in the restaurants. Um, and, of course, mushrooms go well with steak and all those things that we have. Um, and I thought, well, we can flambe that. And I literally did every single order for two months myself. Um, every Friday and Saturday, I was out there doing it. And people loved it. Uh, and so we've kind of compounded on that, and now we have tableside tartare, we do baked Alaskas, we also do tableside Caesars uh, in season as well. So, and again, it, for that same exact reason you just said, you're captivated by it, you're interested in it, you get to see it done in front of you, and it's, in, it's interactive, it's engaging. Yeah, so backtracking a little bit, you, in addition to having your beautiful restaurant here in Denver, Urban Farmer, you are also an actual farmer, and you have a farm with your family, which is called Lost Creek Micro Farm, uh, and we got to enjoy greens and mushrooms that you grew yourself. Um, So I'd love to hear, so Urban Farmer is two years. Correct, yeah, August 15th will be two years. Um, so as you were developing the concept and us being here at Slow Food Nations, um, that sort of bringing the farm into the restaurant, bringing the guests into the kitchen, um, how did you develop that, that 
whole concept and was it the farm first or the restaurant first? Well, the restaurant was first and then yeah. it kind of added in um, um, the farmer part of it. Mm -hmm. And so the original Urban Farmer is in Portland, Oregon, and this right. one's down here in Denver. And so I started that when, when I did the rooftop gardens in Portland and, of course, the apiary and learned a lot there about how much we can actually grow and produce on the rooftop and then actually bring it to the restaurant to make sense for the most amount of people. Um, so here, um, we really put those growing elements into the restaurant. And then now with Lost Creek Micro Farm was about hey, what could we actually grow ourselves and bring into the restaurant during the season, of course. I mean, right. we have four seasons here in Denver, but, um, you know, now we're growing greens and some esoteric ingredients that just make it interesting for either garnishes or like you guys had last night, a red romaine Caesar mm. with eggs um, from my chickens. We have 23 chickens there as well. So, you know, th you taste the terroir. You do. You yeah. taste the difference. You taste everything is... But also pleasing, if you will. You know, mm -hmm. everyone's seen Green Romaine. So I thought, how can we do it differently? Yes, it's a Caesar. How can we do it differently? How can we make it taste amazing? And that's, that was the approach. Okay, so going back to kind of the behind the scenes of what goes into a night at, at Urban Farmer, um, I was really blown away by um, your staff. I think Thank you. Um, the seamlessness of the tableside service and um, the way that they kind of talked us through everything that they were doing, everything they were preparing was really fun. So how do you build your team? What sort of backgrounds are you looking for? Um, there's almost a, sort of a theatrical quality sure. to what you do. So I'm really curious about what goes into um, both finding the right people to have that sure. interaction and also um, what sort of preparation and, and training. Well, it's part, of, it's part of what we do. And again, this is something that I, I enjoy being in front of people. I enjoy yeah. talking about this and really telling people why it's different, why they should enjoy it and things like that. And so that kind of translates into the guest experience as well by, you know, we have a lot of pre-shifts as well that we do this with and we talk mm -hmm. about it. A lot of uh, my staff has actually volunteered on the farm. So they actually oh, nice. have put their hands in the soil. So then when you're the person who has planted the peas and you're saying how these purple peas are on your salad, they're really excited about it because they were the ones that did it. And that's why I'm excited about it and the rest of the staff. So so that translates all the way through. And then, the, you know, at first I was like, well, I'm doing all the stable side. Now I'm going to have the front of the house do it. I'm wondering how this is going to go. Um, but our runners love it. They almost kind of fight over it sometimes, like who's doing the mushroom cart that night and who's not. And, and so it's really nice to see. And they, they love it. They love it telling guests about it because they're passionate. They've tried it. They know the difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, I guess it translates fairly easy, uh, luckily. Um, but that, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be like when we first started. But luckily, um, everybody's really interested in doing it. And we can execute it on a high level every single night, which is great. So Incredible. Um, and again, sort of uh, zooming out a little bit, uh, you're in this beautiful historic building yes. that has a speakeasy in the back. It <laughs> yeah, has all these room. amazing yeah. details. Um, and the decor is really interesting and phenomenal. Downstairs, when you head downstairs to the restroom, there is um, sort of a, a little um, glass display case of mushroom, mushroom room, growing. Yeah. Um, you have your little microgreens growing above a fish tank. Yeah. Um, so how did you develop the, the visual component of the space? I think the important connection, which is what slow food is all about, is yeah. understanding where your food comes from. Yes. And most people have never seen mushrooms growing, except for maybe what's in their lawn when it basically rains too much like it did yesterday, right? <laughs> so, um, so when they connect to that, hey, I recognize that mushroom, that's a shiitake or an oyster from maybe the store, and now I'm seeing it growing on the medium that it grows on when it's produced. Uh, same thing with uh, the greens. You know, they, they see the greens. Those are uh, nasturtiums we have growing in an aquaponic tank there. Right. And so... 
now you're seeing them and you're seeing them on your plate and you're tasting them or they're in your cocktails as well. So um, I think once people make that connection, it's a connection of flavor, but a connection of place as well. Mm -hmm. Like really terroir, like we talked about, understanding mm -hmm. where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. That's why. And you have some very special items on your menu for slow food. Um, mm -hmm. I had the cocktail. I, remind me of what the name was. It had some um, bee pollen and... Uh, the one, the one last night. Yes. Um, let me see. It might have been the. It was all. Arc, it was arc of taste. Yes. Yeah, so the arc of taste is. Yes. Yeah. There's the honey from Hawaii in there as well. Bee pollen bitters, which I also mm -hmm. make as well, called Waggle bee pollen bitters. Um, and so yeah, we put that cocktail together specifically for slow food, but also yeah. to put those ingredients all in something that again someone can taste not only now but understand the story of how it got to your how it got to your uh, your table as well. And not just food. You know, cocktails are great too. I love I love building those with my bar team as well. That's so fun. Um, so before the interview, we were chatting about you have a dinner at the James Beard House in New yep. York coming up in August. Um, and you have been preparing for that since the beginning of the year. Correct. So I would love to hear about um, how you thought through your menu and how that then translated into the crops that you decided sure. to grow on your farm. Well, the event is um, James Beard House, like you said, August 15th in New York. So we're excited to bring uh, the team there. Um, and so in January, we basically got the seed catalogs out, my wife and myself. And, and we said, hey, what do we want to grow? Brought it in for uh, my chefs to look at as well. Um, and built the menu kind of kind of from the seed catalogs and saying, hey, what can we grow? What's going to make it in time to August? And then, of course, what will ship fairly well? Now, with that being said, I did put something on there called a Brad's Atomic Tomato. So we'll see there's smaller cherry tomatoes. So I'm going to figure out how to wrap those up. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, something called an Itachi cucumber, which is a white-skinned kind of albino cucumber that we're going to highlight as well. Um, and is that... Um something that's specific to Denver, Colorado area? Not specific really to Denver, special? but but just growing it and yeah. that you don't really find those at farmer's markets. People mm -hmm. don't grow them a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, how can we make these cool ingredients that maybe people have never seen? Yes, it's just a cucumber, but then make it like a, one of the best hors d'oeuvres hopefully they've ever had. Um, and so this season, as again, we talked about yesterday being so rainy, um, we had a frost after uh, Mother's Day, which is kind of unheard about here in Denver as far as the growing season. Um, we're growing some row seven seeds from Dan Barber, uh, some of his uh, badger flame beets and snap peas that we're going to bring with us as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where we went with it. And uh, I wrote the menu fairly general at the time just to make sure we had room for things that maybe didn't happen or did. And we just started getting hot, so the, the peppers themselves are a little bit behind right now. But, you know, like I was saying before, that's kind of the story of farming, too, is like you set out with a goal. Um, and then as these things are coming out, I, I'm walking out on the farm every day like, okay, hey, right now cucumbers are blossoming sweet. I have about two weeks left. I'm going to get there with these. What about these over here? Uh, the watermelons, do I need to give them some more, uh, you know, compost, get them going there or not? And so that's really the exciting part is that, you know, you plan, you plan to get this goal out there. And you know what? Some things get there and some things don't. And that's really the story of farming. I'm curious because you have this very specific perspective as both a chef and a farmer, yep. do you think that um, because you're growing so many of your ingredients, does this make you um, a more like nimble chef? Because you kind of know 
the ins and outs, something could go wrong, something not could be not ready in time. Agreed. And I think that, you know, it helps us run. And I, I kind of brief my chefs all the time. Hey, this is what's coming up. You know, we're, you know, for instance, we had not a lot of heat and then we had a lot of heat. And then mm-hmm. so all the greens that we had were bolting. So I said, hey, we're picking everything and we're going to have a plethora of greens. We'll run some specials and go from there. And so that's mm-hmm. that I know that heads up from going out there and seeing it every day, and which is the closer connection than what we normally have with a farmer. Right. Um, and so that's been nice. You know, even last year we had like these, uh, these kind of crossbred pumpkins and squash and things like that where you know normally I would like I don't know what I'm gonna do with these things but we had so many of them we wound up making like a blackened squash dish mm. with uh, uh, beet soubis and an edible flour butter and it was a great special we ran for the whole season and if someone would have brought me these franken squash as we called them or I learned that from Eric Skogan last night this franken's crossbred squash um, I don't know what I would have done I don't know what I would have thought and uh-huh. so now it's something that I have to use and uh, it's a challenge for the chefs and myself to come up with something excellent so last night when we were at urban farmer you um, you were on your way to a panel um, yes. so tell us a little bit about that and and what else you've been up to uh, for slow food nations this year sure um, the chef summit last night was kind of about the, f- the future of food really you mm-hmm. know um, it was really awesome to just hear about how people um, you know on the panel but also are just talking about how they want to push the food movement larger than you know the three percent that is certified organic farming you know what I mean and so that was an interesting part was like hey even though we feel we're immersed in this right now there's a lot of work to do to get people you know relatively educated on what they should be investing in and we're, we're hoping that most of it through chefs and advocates can be through um, more sustainable re- agri- um, sorry regenerative agriculture and that was yeah. the main topic last night and I think everyone was on the same page mm. um, I also did, uh, this morning, you guys have an English muffin here. We made um, Kamut English muffins with uh, Bob Quinn Organics, uh, his Kamut, with a local apricot jam, and then uh, farm blossoms from uh, Lost Creek Micro Farm for uh, that activation after the panel that they had for the innovative farm, farmer today. Um, it's and then, so beautiful. <laughs> thanks. Chris arrived with this plate of, their, so it's a little English muffin, yep. um, and this, this is apricot? Local apricot jam. With beautiful edible flowers on top. What a treat <laughs> when friends bring you delicious <laughs> snacks to interviews. I love that so much. Yeah, we've been talking, I think it's come up several times in our interviews and just in conversations at Slow Food, um, the really essential role that chefs play as ambassadors yep. to um, you know expanding American palates. Um, we just earlier did an interview um, with some folks who are working with edible insects oh, wow. and, and just how important it is for chefs to, to act as ambassadors. So what do you, I mean, obviously from eating at your restaurant, you're really successfully bringing guests into the farm, but, um, what sort of, um, what, what do you think that chefs can, can do to bring these values of good, clean and fair food and, and also just educating consumers? You know, I think, I like to call it passive preaching because I don't think guests necessarily want to be preached to Mm -hmm. about everything. And um, what was a common thing last night was 
we all have these restaurants and not everybody comes to the restaurants for all the reasons that we want them to. So when they're there, how are we captivating them and how are we speaking to them about what we're doing um, that they can take home and either continue to do themselves or come back because we are doing these initiatives, sustainability, you know, composting programs or just, um, you know, supporting the local farmers. And so that's really through just staff training and I think just passion all the time too. And I think that, you know, one guest at a time is the best way to do it. And make it fun. Yeah, yeah. You I think make it I think fun. that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Like, last night we had a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I'm so glad. That's awesome. And I have to say, um, even though I obviously like love cooking, I love food, but I've I've actually never had the confidence to make my own Caesar, which okay. is silly because it's clearly a very straightforward recipe. Sure. But I I feel empowered now after <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after seeing it on table side. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say a, a, a slight tangent. Um, the gentleman who made our Caesar last night was one of the most talented and by dexterous people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he was whisking with his left hand and pouring olive oil very elegantly with the other hand. We're like is he left-handed or is he just the most ambidextrous person on this planet? Awesome. That's how we train him. <laughs> so cool. Um, that's, that's really crazy. So going back to um, your beard dinner, yep. um, obviously, so you have, you have a restaurant in Portland, you have a restaurant here in Denver. Yep. Um, what, in what ways are you bringing the flavors of this, this part of the country to New Yorkers? Um, I mean, obviously you're, you're sure. growing things yourself, but what would you say kind of um, differentiates cuisine in, in Denver, cuisine in on um, you know the western side of the country? I think beef too is one yeah. of the things that we're known for, right? Um, and um, we're working with a certain rancher, Boot Hill Seven, which we're close with, that I've kind of helped grow with them. Um, they're actually up in Lusk, Wyoming, mm. um, and so the way that he's feeding the cattle, the way that they are treating the cattle, and and I've been to the, the ranch a couple times with my kids and and helped been part of like branding process and being on cows and herding and stuff like that um, in a very minimal way. I don't know how to like rope cattle by any means. Okay, um, <laughs> that'll but, be your next yeah, uh, yeah, endeavor. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. It's all in the wrist, is what I heard. Um, so. But just being part of that and then bringing that story. So we're doing a 90-day dry age New York um, on which the one side. Which I tasted side. Last oh, yes, yep. night, which was really good. So he gave us the cattle um, a couple months ago. And then he's bringing us the tenderloin um, in August that we're going to do the tableside tartare there. Mm-hmm. But the interesting part is we're going to actually have all the numbers from the cattle as far as the marbling, the weight, hanging weight, and things like that that we're actually going to have on the plate um, so people can see those numbers. And I'm, I'm happy to say JD and his wife are actually coming to the dinner. Um, and it's their first time in New York. Oh, that's um, and so I'm excited to have them there. He said, look for the guy in the cowboy hat. I'll be there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, going back to that. So we did, it was a, a New York um, steak, ta- New York strip. Uh, yeah, the steak tasting. Yeah. Uh, sampling. So there were three different, um, there was one was um, Gr- grass fed. Grass fed. One was. Uh, corn finish or corn grain, fed. yes and then the other was the 21 the, day the age. age and so for myself I was raised vegetarian I started eating meat oh, wow. when I was a, a teenager which is I think the opposite of what most <laughs> folks do yeah um so I'm still I still like I'm 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 still learning a lot about um those subtle d- differences sure. and it was amazing to be able to compare the flavors so there really was a marked difference yeah. based on what the cows were eating and again like how they were aged um so when you're selecting meat you want to work with what is that sort of tasting process like how do you decide what 
qualities sure. you're looking for. I mean, you know, that was the whole thing about the center of the menu is all different steaks and how they're yeah. and how they're fed. And so that was as we were tasting them because most steakhouses are like just CAB or whatnot, you know, certified right. Angus, and that's it. There's no other story beyond that, right? And so when we were tasting all of these steaks, on the t it was like, oh, this is grass fed, this is wagyu. Like they were all great in their own right. And that's mm -hmm. where we said, you know, it's kind of like wine in that respect. Here's a here, you know, here's a, a, a grass fed, and this is like a, a white wine. And then you get to wagyu, and you have a darker red. And so who are we to tell the consumer what the best beef is in that respect? Right. So by putting it all on one plate, that's almost recreating what we did mm -hmm. to talk about conceptually what we want on the menu. And so. Um, I think within those own categories, you have people come in, and I'm curious, at your table last night, not everyone chooses the same one as their favorite, so I'm assuming you guys didn't either. We were divided. I think um, there were five of us, and around the table, we each, I think there were two for grass-fed, sure. one for corn finish, and one for the dry age, Right. Um, and they were all delicious, but sure. I think, yeah, it just depends on maybe... Um, also, like what wine you're drinking and what else you're eating, Agreed. what is going to click with your your palate? Agreed, totally agreed. Yeah. And and that's and that's when I do bring those to the table, or I know people are having. I like to stop by the table mm -hmm. and ask because it is all over the board. And so that's again making the guests happy as they can for what for what they want. You know. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's all the time we have. Okay. Um, if, if our listeners are interested, and I highly, highly recommend, get tickets to Chef Starkus's, uh James Beard Dinner coming up on August 15th. So you can find that on the James Beard website cool. and also on the Urban Farmer um, Instagram. Yep, Urban Farmer Denver on Instagram. Yep. Yes, and also just follow them on Instagram because all of their food is beautiful and <laughs> their space you. is beautiful. Um, and be sure to check it out if you're ever in Denver. So thank you so much, Chris Starkus, for speaking with us. Thanks for And thank me. you for an exceptional, exceptional dinner experience thank last you. night. It was wonderful. Every Everyone should add that to their agenda next time you're you're in town. Um, and thank you again to our supporters for making our coverage of Slow Food Nations possible. This weekend we are having the time of our lives. Um, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and Culinary Arts, Big Green Egg, Hearst Ranch, and of course our friends here at Slow Food Nations. We will be back with more interviews, so stay tuned. Thanks so much. Yeah.